0: And a better weekend than the New York Islanders, a disappointing 4-0 loss Saturday afternoon at the Nassau Coliseum at the hands of the Boston Bruins. And the Islanders' losing streak has now reached three games, although they do have a point in two of those games As they were overtime losses. We'll talk a little bit about that. We will also talk about the return of one of the Islanders' injured players to the lineup, and that is definitely a positive development. And of course, we will discuss the decision by the Islanders announced by Governor Cuomo of New York uh, on Saturday that they will play all postseason games this year and all of their regular season games next year at the Nassau Veterans Memorial Coliseum, so that is at least a plus in many ways for a lot of Islander fans, but we'd like to hear your opinion. If you'd like to weigh in on that and discuss it, there are several ways to contact the show. You can email us at LockedOnIslanders at com, or you could contact us on Twitter, and please do follow us you could follow the show at Locked On Isles. You could follow me, Gil Martin, Ice Wars, NYR, VS, NYI, and we'll keep you up to date on all the latest happenings and news around the New York Islanders. All right, well, let's start off with uh, what I consider to be some good news for Islander fans, and that is that Governor Cuomo announcing on Saturday that the New York Islanders will play all playoff games. Uh, this season, and all regular season and playoff games next season at the Nassau Coliseum. So just a few more games left at the Barkley Center, and then assuming everything goes according to plan in time for the the 2021-2022 season, the Islanders will be at their new home arena in Belmont, and uh, that will also be very exciting for a lot of Islanders fans, but I I think overall returning to the Coliseum full-time is better for the majority of Islander fans. First of all, look, no matter how you slice it, most Islander fans are from either Nassau or Suffolk County, and unless you live on the South Shore with direct Long Island Railroad access to the Barclays Center without having to transfer trains at Jamaica, it is much more difficult and expensive to get to the Barclays Center than it is to get to the Nassau Coliseum. You know, most Islander fans can drive to the Coliseum in anywhere between, let's say, 10 and 30 minutes. If you have a family of four going to a game, you pay one price for parking, and that's the end of it. If you're taking the Long Island Railroad to and from the game, you got to wait for a train in Brooklyn on the way back. Very often, you have to go to Jamaica, wait anywhere up to an hour or more sometimes to change trains at Jamaica, and then it'll take an hour and a half to two hours total, depending on how far east you live, in order to get back from the Barclays Center, because at night, they just don't run as many trains, both from Jamaica, and from anywhere else for that matter. So, you know, the the trip takes a long time. If you want to drive into Brooklyn from Long Island, there is almost always traffic, whether it's on the BQE or the Jackie Robinson, or if you want to go by the local streets or take the belt. Uh, no matter how you go, if there's a seven o'clock game, you're going to hit afternoon rush hour traffic trying to get into Brooklyn, and that is never an easy thing. And And then you also have the issue, of course, of the obstructed view seats, which lowers the capacity in real terms at the Barclays Center. So look, there are advantages to the Barclays Center as well. If you work in the city, certainly hopping on the subway or the LIRR to get there is a little bit more convenient for fans doing that. Uh, Also, certainly the Barclays Center has more modern amenities than the Coliseum does, but for hockey, the old barn, you can tailgate, it's closer to home, it's easier, it's cheaper. What well, you know, When you take, as I said, a car to the game for a family of four, you pay one price for parking. When you take the LIRR to the game for a family of four, each person is paying $18, $20, $25 per person to take the train. Now, look, maybe kids will pay a little bit less, but You pay per person, as opposed to per car, just to get to and from the Barclays Center on the LIRR, that adds up as well. So look, there are pluses and minuses, but I think for the majority of Islander fans, it's a plus. I think it's also an advantage for other reasons, the big one being that professional athletes and Islanders players are certainly no exception to that. They are creatures of habit. And to have one routine before games, staying in the same place, you have your morning skate, the Islanders practice facility is right across the street from the Nassau Coliseum. To be able to stay there uh, and then head over to the Coliseum for the game or go home in between the morning skate and showing up for the game without having to commute to Brooklyn is certainly advantageous for the, the players. It makes one routine rather than two, and it keeps things closer to home for them. It it just makes a lot of sense, and even for season ticket holders, who instead of having to travel to two different venues next season, they will be able to just go to the Coliseum for all 41 home games, hopefully, plus playoff contests. And as far as playoff games go, look, the Islanders last year won all of their home games at the Nassau Coliseum in the playoffs, lost all their games at Barclays Center, yeah, two games in each series, not a big sample size, but the Coliseum has more tradition, the Coliseum is louder, you are closer to the ice, better sight lines overall at the Coliseum, for hockey at least, uh, than at the Barclays Center, so I, I think, and and of course, you can tailgate at the Coliseum, which you're not able to do at Barclays. And let's face it, for Islander fans, tailgating a long-standing and enjoyable tradition that they've shared for years and years since the team's inception back in 1972. So overall, got to be happy, I think, with the Islanders playing this season and next season at the Coliseum before moving on to Belmont. And I guess the other factor is this, Barclays Center uh, has a lot of other events, the Coliseum right now, many fewer events, so the Coliseum really needs the Islanders as a tenant more than the Barclays Center. All right, when we come back, we'll talk a little bit about Butch Goring's jersey retirement ceremony and the game on Saturday against the Bruins. We'll also break down the return of an injured Islanders forward that is certainly a welcome addition to the lineup. All that and more still to come on the Locked On Islanders podcast. All right, we are back. Let's talk about Butch Goring's jersey retirement ceremony, number 91, raised to the rafters uh, in honor of Butch Goring. And look, there are people who question the retirement of Goring's jersey. Obviously, John Tavares wearing number 91 with distinction for almost a decade. He was captain of the Islanders, first pick overall in the draft, was the face of the franchise during his time uh, with the club. But look, Butch Goring, I think, certainly deserves to be honored by the team. In addition to winning four Stanley Cups with the Islanders, he was the last piece of the puzzle, the ultimate trade deadline acquisition who gave the Islanders team back then a lot of confidence. First of all, he gave them a solid second-line center who could score, play defense, kill penalties, and that allowed Wayne Merrick, who was then the second-line center, to slide down to the third line, which was much more appropriate for him at that point, and it just really gave the Islanders more depth and more scoring ability and improve their penalty kill. You added also Ken Morrow after the 1980 Miracle on Ice Olympics, and all of a sudden the Islanders were a better team. But most importantly, I think what Butch Goring was able to do as a veteran at that point was give the team confidence. Uh, I, I think there was a story where Butch explained to the younger players on the Islanders, you guys don't realize how good you are, and how good the rest of the league views you as, and he helped restore confidence in this club, and make them feel like, hey, we really are this good, we can really get this done, they got it done in 1980, and then again, the following three years, went to the cup final again in 84, and Butch Goring was a big part of that, actually spent some time as a player coach before retiring, assisting Al Arbor uh, in many respects, and then did a lot more for the organization. Goring went on to scout. He was a a head coach of the team's minor league affiliate uh, in Denver and Salt Lake at different times, and then later went on to be the head coach of the Islanders before now being the team's broadcaster. So, Since 1980, he has been a part of this organization, and that's 40 years, folks. He's been a part of the organization for almost all of that time. Did spend some time with the Bruins organization as well, but you know, he's done almost everything there is for this team. He is a part of the community, a good all around guy, a very good hockey player, and I just think it was a moving ceremony, very nicely handled, always great when Jiggs McDonald is in the building, uh, also bringing back a lot of memories uh, and, and very fitting to have Jiggs, who was the team's broadcaster uh, during the dynasty years, to come back and MC the ceremony uh, at the Coliseum. So, lots of good memories for the Islanders, and congratulations to Butch Goring on his honor, and it's great that his family was there, including his mother, uh, who is, uh, I believe, over 90 years old, and it was just very heartwarming to allow her to travel all the way down from Winnipeg uh, to be there for the game and for the ceremony, so uh, nice classy move by the Islanders organization, and as always, Butch handling it with dignity, class, and a little bit of fun. Uh, the good news for the Islanders before the game Cal Clutterbuck back in the lineup, first time in over a month. Not that he played a lot, 10 minutes, 8 seconds of ice time, two shots on goal, no hits in this game for Clutter, but again, give him time. He played a few games down in Bridgeport before returning to the lineup here, and the Islanders now at least have two-thirds of their fourth line back and ready to play. The other good thing for the Islanders, Andy Green back in the lineup after missing one game uh, after getting injured. The scratches for the Islanders now, Noah Dobson, Ross Johnston, Otto Coivola, Tom Cunackle, and Andrew Ladd. So a lot uh, of uh, scratches right there for the Islanders. But overall, this effort did not get the job done. Islanders just outplayed overall by the Boston Bruins, and, you know, the big story of the game for the Bruins, to Rask, 25 saves, but the Islanders, you know, not managing a lot of shots until it was too late, uh, a lot of shots taken from near the point, from near the blue line, from a little bit further away, while the Bruins had more quality chances, although most of their goals came from a bit further out, and, you know, again, it's tough. The Islanders played the defending Stanley Cup champions and one of the best teams in the league in the Blues earlier this week. Then they come home and play a team with the best record in the league, the Boston Bruins at home on Saturday. That is not an easy back-to-back situation, and the fact that they got one point out of those two games is not in and of itself disastrous. But what you want to see more of from the Islanders is just a little bit more of an aggressive attack and still not really able to get uh, a lot of shots on goal, a lot of quality scoring chances. Ryan Polak was the team's leader with four shots on goal in this game, and he also had five block shots, which was impressive. Uh, Matt Martin led the way with five hits, but overall... From an Islanders perspective, you want more shots on goal overall, and you want your forwards to have uh, a lot more shots. Look, Jean-Gabriel Pagiot did not manage a shot on goal in this game. Neither did Anders Lee. Uh, Those are two players right now that you expect a lot of uh, production from and a lot more offense from, and quite honestly, the Islanders just didn't get it in this game, and that, in and of itself, remains a problem. The face-off circle, also an issue for the Islanders overall, the only player who took a substantial amount of face-offs and won, well, two. You had Derek Brassard who won all four of his draws, and then Pajot, who won 12 out of 19, but Matthew Barzal, one win in seven face-offs. Anders Lee, two wins in six, and you know, that's not going to get it done, Brock Nelson did a little better, six wins out of 13, but all three of those players below the 500 mark, and Varlamov in goal was okay, not bad, not terrible, that first goal, certainly a lot of controversy, whether or not there was goaltender interference on the play, I think it was a, a, a legitimate call that should have been made, but the Islanders did not get the call, And at the end of the day, it wouldn't have mattered. When you score zero goals, you're not winning any hockey games. And the Islanders unable to score. Uh, And again, the top line getting a lot done. Pasternik with a goal. Uh, Marshand with a goal. You had the the Greselik goal, which was just a bad, bad bounce for the Islanders. Goes off Johnny Boychuk's skate. Nothing Varlamov could have done about that one. And so you had the goalie interference goal, and then the the bad bounce goal, making it 2-0 in the first period, and that put the Islanders behind the eight ball. So, look, that was part of it, but I think at the end of the day, the Bruins were the better team. They deserved the victory, and they got it, and the Islanders now, with their backs against the wall, in need of some wins, and we'll talk more about that right after this. If you've been a listener of this podcast, I'm sure you've heard all the great advertisers working with Locked On to reach sports fans. But you may not know that Locked On Islanders is a great way for your local business to reach passionate Islander fans just like you. Unlike any other podcast, Locked On gives your local company the unique ability to reach local podcast listeners. Not just any listener, a Locked On podcast listener. If your company wants to connect with Islander fans and a predominantly male audience that is well-educated with disposable income, then let's put your company right here on this Locked On podcast. Local fans love to support local businesses. Text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com backslash advertising and let us know who you are. We'll get our team to help you, achieve, your team achieve Locked On advertising success. Once again, ta- text the word ADVERTISING to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash advertising. We look forward to hearing from you. All right, time for this date in Islanders history. We take you back to March 2nd, 2010, Islanders at the Nassau Coliseum hosting the Chicago Blackhawks, 13,486 fans on hand to see this game. The goaltenders, anti Niemi, starting for Chicago, while Dwayne Roloson gets the nod for the Islanders, and it was the Blackhawks drawing first blood at 1044. Brian Campbell, his seventh from Patrick Kane, and Chicago had the early one to nothing lead. The Islanders tie it less than two minutes later. Blake Como, his 10th of the season from Rob Shrimp, at 12-16, and it was a 1-1 hockey game. But the Islanders took a penalty. Richard Park off for slashing at 12-34, and the Blackhawks convert Kane on the power play. His 26 from Duncan Keith and Jonathan Taves at 13-19, and at the end of the first period, Chicago held a 2 1 lead. But the Islanders bounced back quickly early in the second period. It was Como, his second of the game, 11th of the season from Rob Shrimp and Mark Streit at 227. And then 25 seconds later, John Sim, his ninth from Richard Park and Dustin Cohn at 252. And the Islanders, just like that, took a 3 2 lead. That was enough for Joel Quenville. He replaced Niemi with Cristobal Huey in goal, and the Islanders kept on scoring. Richard Park, his seventh from Matt Molson and Doug Waite at 7.06, and the Islanders had a 4-2 lead. Then in the late stages of the second period, the Islanders make it 5-2 as Blake Como gets his third goal of the game, his 12th of the season from Strite and Andrew McDonald, at 19.42, and again, 18 seconds left in the period. Those last-minute goals make such a big difference in hockey games. Islanders led 5-2 after 40 minutes. Kyle Oposo headed to the penalty box late in the third period at 15.21. He was off for holding, and the Blackhawks converted Dustin Bufflin, his 15th, from Jonathan Tays and Patrick Kane at 15.43, but that was as close as the Blackhawks got. Islanders hold on for a 5-3 win in this game. Rollison with 41 saves, as the Islanders were outshot 44 to 23. And yet, because of Rollison's strong play, managed to earn the victory. Offensively, Blake Como, three goals. In four shots, that four shots led all Islanders players, and uh, he was the only uh, multiple goal scorer. Both Mark Streit and Rob Shrimp had two assists, Richard Park one goal and one helper, as the Islanders downed the Chicago Blackhawks' final score 5-3 to three on this date in Islanders history, March the second, two 2010. All right, we talked a little bit earlier about the tough schedule that the Islanders had playing the defending Stanley Cup champion Blues and then the uh, league-leading Bruins in back-to-back games. The good news for the Islanders is that the schedule, the next two games at least, gets a little bit easier. Not that there are any easy games out there. The Montreal Canadiens come in next. They are currently 12th in the conference and are nine points behind the Islanders in the standings, and the Habs have played three more games than the Islanders have, and then the Ottawa Senators are next on the Islanders' schedule. It is a road game, but the Senators are right now 20 points behind the Islanders in the standings, and the Islanders have two games in hand on the Sens. So, look, You understand that they got one point in the last two games against that top-rated competition. It is time for the Islanders to take advantage of playing teams lower than them in the standings. And look, I would say they need to pick up at least three out of four possible points when push comes to shove. Because when you look at the standings right now, the Islanders with very little margin for error, uh, Islanders, if the season ended right now, would be the first wild card team, but their lead over the Carolina Hurricanes, who are the team just outside the playoffs right now, is all of three points. Both teams have played 64 games as of this recording time. So, three points away from missing the playoffs entirely. And again, you look at how tight the division standings are uh, for the Islanders right now. In the Metropolitan Division, the Capitals, 84 points, Flyers, 83, Penguins, 80, Islanders, 78, Blue Jackets, 76, Hurricane, 75, Rangers, 74. So right now, 10 points separate the top seven teams. In the Metropolitan Division. Only the New Jersey Devils uh, are a distant team that is not in contention. So, look, Islander fans, there's 18 games left on the schedule. Got to pick up points, minimum, I think, of three points in these next two games to keep pace, or else uh, things could get ugly in a hurry. And look, the Islanders have been fortunate. A lot of the teams they're fighting for playoff position have also been losing recently, and that certainly helps their cause. All right, that's going to do it for us right here on the Locked On Islanders podcast. Again, if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a five-star rating and a review on your podcatcher of choice. It helps other Islander fans and hockey fans find the podcast and helps us grow the Locked On Islanders family. I'm your host, Gil Martin. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Locked On Islanders podcast, part of the Locked On podcast network.